you, me, and my little girl, and my mother, and my father, everyone who's ever been, every plant, every animal, every atom, every star, every galaxy, all of it. More galaxies in the universe than grains of sand on the beach, and that's what we're talking about when we say God. The One. The Cosmos. And its infinite dreams. We are the cosmos dreaming of itself. It's simply a dream that I think is my life every time. But I'll forget this. I always do. I always forget my dreams. But now, in this split second, in the moment I remember, the instant. I remember I comprehend everything at once. There is no time. There is no death. Life is a dream. It's a wish. Made again and again and again and again and again and again and on into eternity. And I am all of it. I am everything. I am all. I am that I am. scares us and what saves us. This is the fear of God. Hello, welcome back to your favorite podcast, my favorite podcast at the intersection of faith and fear, where every week we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is the fear of God. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse, and typically with me is fellow co-host Reed Lackey. And guys, he was here, but he said he needed a minute to go speak for himself. Okay. I'm sure he'll be back. In the meantime, allow me to welcome you listeners back into the end of this 2021 more time TV guideposts, a final congregational gathering for Netflix's midnight mass. Okay. Last week we got our learn on with fear of God luminaries, Tyler Smith and Bill Oberst jr. Discussing the documentary Valley of the shadow, which our very own lackey, the listicle co-wrote this week. We pour a cold one out for the residents all of them, of Crockett Island. But before we do that, let me remind you, lest you've forgotten, that here at The Fear of God, we explore, we don't explain. Except for right now, 
when I explain that you can find every fog and fear of God thing imaginable at the fear of God podcast.com. Things like how to support us on Patreon, things like the foggy awards, which is going to be incredible. Uh, essays, team bios, episode archives, merchandise. Read. Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> <laughs> That's a call out. We haven't done in a while. Pew, pew, pew. Oh, hey, so Riri. hey Nathan. i'm like so happy to be here and so don't want to be here and so don't want it to end and so happy that it's here but like i know i just know i, know. I just need to part ways with the desire to do and say all the things we want to do and say about this show hey as i observed last week and as i am coming to learn with with sadness and and large degree of mental health we're not going to get to everything you're just we're just not going to get to everything and, and 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 that's okay because that means that there's always going to be always going to be more um you know, but you know what's yeah, fun reed so, you know what's fun what's fun is what's fun? little 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 fear god qt little announcement here is <laughs> this isn't the end of our midnight mass coverage what what like Boromir getting hit with them arrows. <laughs> it keeps going. It keeps going. People are like, dang, oh, I love this show, don't you? Yes. We do. <laughs> um probably this week it'll be released as a bit of a I'm see, I'm just exercising some on air, you know, authority here. <laughs> yeah. Because Reed and I sure. haven't actually discussed when this is going to release. But we are going to do a very special conversation that I am excited for. We are going to have some um, some brand new friends to us as people, some brand new yeah. friends to the show, some old friends to us as people, some brand new friends to read. Um, we're going to have a clergy roundtable. We are getting some folks together mm. to discuss Midnight Mass on the whole uh, from a kind of clerical not a clerical it's dad gummit it's too late i started my fireball already <laughs> clerical they're not administrative they're not like typing it up it's not a no. it's not a secretarial state clerical you know? yes i don't know that clerical <laughs> is a word that's not a thing. probably not but you know what i kind of yeah, like it and it it's a good it's a good cover for me clerical <laughs> yeah we're gonna have a clerical around the table cool <laughs> <laughs> clerical radical table yes so we're gonna do a very special classical. episode a clergy round table i'm very excited about it uh, it hasn't happened yet as of this recording so i'm just gonna make an assumption because these are all very thoughtful people who are big fans we're of the show that it's it. gonna be lovely so i'm excited for that that's an announcement um other bits of business mm-hmm. riri is we got ladies night next week next week you and oh, i get I'm very excited what <laughs> we got we fired ourselves got- for a week Malibu, (laughs) run down to the beach, sipping a Mai Tai. (laughs) Just kidding. I don't know where you got time for all that. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Dang. Good point. Good point. Mm, That's really just like a breather. Uh, But no, we got Ladies Night next week. Vera, Asia, and Jess are going to be talking about A Quiet Place, too. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I'm I'm excited. excited. I love that movie. Love those people. It's going to be good. Um, So excited. What about the Foggies, Reed? So we mentioned this last week. Um, I'm going to urge you even more so because this, if you're listening to this right now, the week that it is released, this is your last week to cast your vote for the Foggy Awards, the first annual Foggy Awards. Listen to our Werewolves Within conversation to hear all about the nominees. Uh, you can go to anywhere 
that you can find the fear of God, including our website, our social media feeds, um, to find the survey where you can go and cast your vote for the best picture, best director, best lead performance, supporting performance, writing, production design, best scare. It's all very, very fun. And then we will find details TBD, but we are going to find a fun way to release to the masses uh, what the results of the first annual Foggy Awards were. I'm very excited about it, uh, and and that's going to be all culminating kind of around Oscar weekend in some fashion. Again, TBD, but soon TBD. Um, so, but yes, if you are listening to this, you keep saying this that is acronym. Your- I do not think you know. I mean, damn gum it. Clerical. I do not think it means clerical. Yeah, you know what, what I think saying. it means. But Gosh. yeah, like to be determined. So, um, but basically, like it is uh, forthcoming that we will uh, let you know exactly how the awards uh, reveal will work. But this is definitely your last week to vote. So if you haven't done that, go do it. Do it. Please. Do it now. Do it. Get to the survey. Get to the the voting. The Foggy Awards. We promise it will not be corrupted. Um, (laughs) Not at all. All right. So it stands to reason that someone perhaps uh, found this episode by looking for midnight mass and they're going to get about five minutes down the road from this moment and be like, what, what, what? Y'all only talk about episode seven. What? So it feels worth mentioning here mm-hmm. for our listeners and any new folks who may have found us just because they love this show. Um, that the past six weeks, uh, we have featured micro discussions, which, threatened to balloon into macro discussions because we're such fans micro machines. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, as patron only micro discussions available through our new brand new Patreon for this year. So mm-hmm. uh, you can go for five bucks, hear those or wait until the middle of the year when all of this will be collected into a complete conversation, um, compiling episodes one through six. Uh, uh, onto the conversation we're about to have. Um, so just mm-hmm. know if you're coming to this and you're like, wait, this is weird. They're only talking about episode seven. It's because we've already talked about episodes one through six and had a grand old time doing so. Featured a, a couple of guests along the way. It was great. Go check those out. But the only way to get them is by joining at the $5 level. You can even, listen, you can even just do it for a month. Just be like, okay, here's my five bucks. You know, yeah. it's already there. That's how you, you do it. Hear the stuff. Exactly. Now that that's out of the way. Let's talk about this show. Read, oh read. I don't oh want to. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. We're here. I know. Just, I know. So I'm staring at so, this wall of text. But yeah, what? I know. So so why don't we? Why don't we do this? Um, Start with your summary. Yeah. Might as well f- yeah. Go I, for I, it. I, yeah. We'll just we'll just go for it. Here's the. I'm not going to TV guide post us in because we don't usually nope. on the on the full conversation. So, but this is the summary of episode seven, which is titled Book Seven, Revelation. Here we go. So, Mildred Gunning arises after the being had killed her. She drifts into the quiet church where Father Hill sits quietly at the altar of blood. He confesses to her that while he saw what had happened to him as an end to death itself, the main reason he brought the being back to the island was that he did not want her and Sarah to die. They had, he puts it, wasted their lives staring across the church at each other while their daughter grew up, never knowing the truth and that the real miracle would be a second chance. Meanwhile, the townspeople are breaking into houses, ripping the residents who did not attend the Midnight Mass from their sleep and feeding upon them without restraint. To some, 
After feeding, they open their own veins for their victims to drink and to be restored. A precious few, namely Ed Flynn and Ali Hassan, resist their thirst and witness the horror in silence. Aaron and the others realize in terror that the plan was always to leave the islands follow the island following the town's transformation and that they are the last hope of stopping the contagion. Just as they are devising their plan, Bev and Sturge set their house on fire, and Annie Flynn urges the others to escape while she confronts Bev, declaring firmly that Bev is not a good person and that God loves everyone else just as much as he loves her. And then Annie slits her own throat, buying the resistance time while Bev and Sturge feed on her. In a flash of insane revelation, Bev devises a plan to burn every building and house on the island, except for the church, seeking to drive everyone there by sunrise. Our group fights their way to the docks when Uker and Lisa stumble upon the being feeding on a victim. Lisa shoots at it twice, but it just brushes the bullet wounds away like annoying gnats. So she ignites the building as they run away, eventually reaching the canoe and escaping a few miles offshore. Meanwhile, Sheriff Hassan, Sarah, and Aaron, upon realizing that the islanders are burning the buildings, decide also to burn the boats, destroying their hope for escape. Bev learns this shortly after Father Hill confronts her and condemns what they've all done to the people. Bev then rejects Hill's change of heart and assumes leadership of the island's remaining population. She speaks condemningly to a man who never came to church, but who Sturge had saved that night. And when the man speaks in horror of having murdered his own family, she casts judgment on his long-standing lack of faith and declares that there will be no room for him in the rec center. Father Hill declares that the man will be welcome, as all will be in St. Patrick's, before walking in to find Sarah, his daughter, soaking the church in gasoline. Hill resigns himself that the church should indeed burn and declares his pride in her and regret for their lost time together. She is about to leave when Sturge shoots her in the chest. Hill opens his wrist and tries to get her to drink it, but she spits it out and dies. Hill and Mildred set the church ablaze before Bev finally notices that Hassan and Aaron are doing the same thing to the rec center. Bev shoots Hassan, and the being swoops down from the smoke to attack Aaron. Ali grabs the lighter and sets the rec center ablaze, while Aaron, forcing herself to endure the being's feeding on her, begins to shred his wings with her knife. The islanders disperse, lost in their regrets and their sorrow. The being tries desperately to flee, but his flight is shaky and he's almost certain to fail. Aaron, as she dies, envisions the night that she spoke of death with Riley and speaks of a cosmic connectedness to all things, of memory and of dreams and of being. I am that I am, she says. Ali and his father reach the beach and begin to pray. Bev reaches the beach as well, where she desperately claws at the ground in vain for some cover. Hill and Mildred sit with Sarah's body gently. The Flynns begin to gently sing a hymn that the islanders all one by one join in the chorus for as long as they can before the sunrise. As Uker and Lisa, the only survivors of Crockett Island, watch the sunrise together, Lisa can no longer feel her legs, signaling to them both that the long night is truly over. And that has been the final summary of the events of Midnight mass will you be mad at me if i ring the bell on you a little bit there what did i do no i wouldn't be mad what did i do so it's not uker it's warren it's warren flynn uker is the oh. the altar boy who uker's the other one mm. i mixed the two i mixed the two okay. names up yeah okay. no ring, 
Yeah, ring the bell on me. That's 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 a bad summer. So so now we're gonna go back and I'm gonna read it all Ooh. again. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, no, Unring so that good, bell. good good shout out. That was Warren, okay. not Uker. No, so yes. Mm-hmm. Reed, do you? Is there? Might there be? Oh boy. Do you think? <laughs> so we've been doing this show for doggone five plus years. Yeah, five and a half. I mean, yeah, almost five and a half at this point. Mm-hmm. Is there a piece we've covered that sits more comfortably in the just cradle of holy and horrific than this show? I mean, I ask that I mean, sincerely. Like, is there something that comes to yeah, mind I that mean, you're like, what? I mean, no, no, I mean, I, listen, here's the deal surprising no one. If we're discounting The Exorcist, the answer is no. I mean, The Exorcist will always be top to me of that intersection of horror and faith for a myriad of reasons. But I will say that even That's like your answer to any movie question. Okay, okay. Now, if we're not going to consider The Exorcist. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. It's true. But no, I mean, like, I mean, you ask a sincere question. Sure. And and again, I, I think the only thing that would, in taking your question in sincere spirit in which it was delivered, no, I think... Aside from The Exorcist, which I would genuinely think is is like the perfect culmination of horror and faith in conversation with one another, um, I, I do think that Midnight Mass is probably the most direct interlacing of those concepts uh, of anything we've ever covered on the show. I mean, it's it's a perfect distillation of what we do. So, yeah, absolutely. Hmm. It's pretty wild. I mean, it is. This is, a, but that's that's the thing. It's like so. In at some point in this conversation, I am going to point to, and maybe we can talk about it for a few minutes. I'm going to point to a couple of quibbles that I have with these the events of episode seven in brief microcosm. So knowing that that is coming, I will say this: like this is a top tier, top shelf peak of the things that I am interested in in that holy and and horror and 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 faith and humanity in all of the myriad of different ways this is a special piece of material to me i want that like for whatever else gets said after this like i am i am grateful that i was around and could appreciate what midnight mass is offering i don't know what it will do for everybody or like as a piece how everybody responds to it but for me this was something special to have been able to see, and I'm, I really cherish what the show is interested in. And and, and like I said, yeah, the, there there's like a couple of little quibbles with episode seven, but my overwhelming sense of of, of of things about this show, I'm just I'm just really grateful that this show is here. I feel like it's helped me to contextualize certain things that I've felt as as we've said before. Like it's given me some language to kind of. Tr- to point to a thing and they, this is like this, you know, and, uh, and I, I appreciate that. So profoundly. Well, let's, let's do this. Show. Cause it'll, it'll kind of pop the balloon for us of anxiety of where to go. Let's do the quibbles. Let's do quibbles. Okay. And, yeah, sure. um, mm-hmm. just so that no one can accuse us of, of, you know, ignoring a things, whatever, uh, not taking the full view in, in, in context, but so let's do that. And then we'll jump into perhaps ain'ts and so rights. Um, yeah, I, I like that. I like that. Well, you you introduced the concept, so so pick a quibble. Quibble okay, away, so, read. 
I will, I will pick my biggest one. My biggest quibble is that Father Hill, as a profoundly rich character throughout nearly the entirety of the show, once we reach episode six, the end of episode six, and Father Hill is straight up shot in the head, once we reach that point, he has a achingly beautiful moment with Mildred at the very beginning of episode seven. Past that, he is almost set dressing in my in my view. You know, yes, he has a moment with Sarah and everything, but like the way that his character with as such so rich a complexity as he had in the first six episodes, the way he is kind of resigned to just pure epilogue and, and almost a numbness to everything towards the end uh, disappoints me a bit for his character. Um, and I think his turn of heart, once he realizes how badly things have gone, I think there's a part of me that would have liked to have seen him take an active particip- a more active participation in trying to help the people rather than just wandering because he kind of himself feels like he's resigned like we're all gonna die now like this just all went down like this this vision that he had of like ending death even if it was just for sarah and for mildred i just i i feel like in some ways not hamish linkletter's performance but the writing and the characterization it specifically in episode seven drops the ball a little bit in the end zone for uh, Father Hill as a character. That's that's my first. That's my first and biggest. Well, I think sort of I think if I can play sports ball consultant for a moment, it, <laughs> if it were if the ball were in the end zone already before it got dropped, that would mean they achieve what they're after. I think. Oh yeah, that'd be a first down, and then it, yes. <laughs> well, no, a first down, a first down wouldn't be in the end zone. But anyway, the point is, we don't know sports except clearly when we really <laughs> is, don't know sports. That is the takeaway from um, everything I just said. Well, and and to your to your point though, I. I remember watching it the first time mm. and feeling my head spin a little bit of like, wow, we've, we've pivoted hard with father Paul here in this last sure. episode. Yeah, um, yeah. I, w- I would totally agree. I, I do think, and again, like nothing I'm going to contribute to quibble time. Perhaps that's a new segment. <laughs> quibble time. <laughs> nothing I'll contribute to quibble time is, I love my, it. you know, really active, diminishment of the series as a whole you know in a perfect world i wouldn't have any quibbles whatsoever sure but i i want to be honest about how i feel some of episode seven plays out and and yeah because that climax in the church at the end of six is so just in the stratosphere cataclysmic yeah it's like um perhaps it was structural perhaps whatever like just from a pure breaking a story standpoint all they had left after that was this one episode so you so you've got to cover in in what i would say in this case some some you got to cover a lot of ground very quickly uh Mm. in a way that to i think the point you're trying to make might shortchange some of the work like when we were talking with asia and i referenced how powerful the scene is with uh, uh, Riley and Paul post Riley's getting, uh, you know, right. dying turned um, yeah. mm-hmm. because they show the work. You see a character go from point A to point B and it makes yeah. sense. And it's clear in this case, again, because of perhaps the limitations of the time and just the, the needs right. of getting to the next plot point. Uh, sure. You just don't see the work. And instead what you see is, 
a humbled Paul who yeah. is now, I was wrong. You know, it's like, well, right. You know, you just feel the breaks. Yeah. Uh, the record a, a skips for sure. Yeah. yeah. The so record I'll even totally skips like I, I, one more note and then I'll, I'll yeah. stop beating up on the character. Like even to the degree of where he boldly declares all will be welcome or it's not the house of God when he walks in and then literally sees his daughter setting it on fire and is like, yeah, we'll do that. And I'm like, oh, oh my God, I just, I can't keep up with you. Like all of the, the different myriad. I feel like, and maybe there is a justification for saying how his whole concept of things has been distended. And, and, and I, I think that's a bit of a passive justification if that were the case. I just feel like they could have had a little bit more singular outgrowth for him. I think some of that, you've referenced this in our conversation. Some of that is just the affection you have for Linkletter by that point and, yeah. and and even the affection for father hill as a character so i so so but yeah i do well, I that's do feel always like going it. to be the challenge it, it is truly mm-hmm. always going to be the challenge of storytelling when you develop a character so richly and in this case in a performance performance medium have that rich richly written character married to a an incredibly performed um presentation mm-hmm. like I get it. You, you, you've suddenly got yourself in a beautiful corner, but nonetheless, <laughs> it's a corner. And, <laughs> and in order to get out of it, it's like, well, we don't want what it reads there at the end is we don't want Paul to be the bad guy. And so, yeah. And so yeah. we won't, <laughs> you know, so not necessarily yes. because he kind of earned that place. Um, yeah. Right. To the point mm-hmm. that even again, this we, we're, we're camping out on, on quibble time for the moment no way that is absolutely a segment now our our affection is so incredibly high if you're unsure about that pay five dollars and go listen to the other segments because (laughs) sincerely like i I love this show but to the point that when he's telling mildred i did it all for you and sarah and i was like what this (laughs) like like, you Mm -hmm. you really effed up bro you know like (laughs) man like you're mm. you're making this sort of you know graveside confession uh mm. after just destroying lives um i don't know i don't know so again i i think it reads more as we want we we all love hamish linkletter playing paul hill so absolutely. we want to keep that going <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely but you know who we absolutely. hate bev keen <laughs> so Direct all your there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Rightfully so. Rightfully so. Um, um, any, any other sort of major things um, you want to throw in a quibble time? I don't know that either of these are. Well, uh, I, I, Hill was the major one. I have a kind of a mid-tier one and then a small one. So the mid-tier one along the same vein, so we don't have to unpack it a lot, is once it becomes clear to all the Islanders. I mean, literally, they're all like torch the buildings, you know, the, this is where we're going. And then once it becomes clear, oh, the rec center's burned now. There's nowhere else to go. Sunrise is going to kill us. I think I'll just wander over here now. Like, I, I, like it's almost like a light switch flips and all of them just begin to, and this is pre-hymnal. This is, this is pre the nearer my God to the hymn that closes everything. They just all sort of like, let's go look for Lisa. Let's, you know, I'm just going to wander over here. Like, in that same way that I would say about Father Hill, and I love the way you put it, the show in so many other places has shown us the work. This is the path that got that character to from thinking this way to thinking that way. In that episode, for whatever reason, they don't show us the work. It's just the light switch flips. This character was on this path. 
Now suddenly they're over here and that felt jarring to me and I didn't feel like it was totally earned. And I do feel like I would have liked to have seen a little bit more variety in the Islanders response. Um, I think I said to you off pod, I think I thought about the, f- the closing scene of dead poet society, which if you've seen that movie, uh, this will recall and it won't spoil terribly much. If you haven't seen the movie, at the final scene of Dead Poet Society, some people are standing on their desk and some people are not. And I've always loved that about that that moment. In that same way, I love the hymn that is sung at the end. We'll talk about that, I'm sure, in a little bit. But um, I would have liked to have seen maybe not every single Islander there just almost like zombies drift in and begin to sing the hymn. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more variety in, in in how they are coping with a strong core singing that hymn because I don't want to lose that moment. But it, it it began to feel a bit false to me in a show that has so perpetually rang true in so many other ways. That particular moment felt a little false to me. So that's mid tier. My smallest quibble is just I felt, but again, along similar veins, I felt like the being who Father Hill calls an angel. I go out of my way to call it a being. I, I go out of my way to not call it an angel because it's not an angel. Um, even though the subtitles of midnight mass, will call it an angel. Um, but that being seemed a lot more intentional throughout it. Like he wanders into the rec center at one point to refill the chalice and goes, Shh, you know, like, and it just seems like he's taking a lot more active role in everything that is happening, putting on a gold Cossack to, you know, Pres- presume the role of angel, you know? That thing wearing and, clothes. What? I know, right, right. And so doing all that, in episode seven, it feels like he's picking his victims at random. I, and then when he's attacked by gunfire and, and by Aaron blading his his um, wings, he almost like brushes it off. And like I just didn't quite grasp, like, wait a second, you seemed really deliberate, and now this all seems a bit... Well, slap shot. Uh, you know. Let me nuance your quibble there, um, because while I I agree with the overarching thing you're trying to go after there, which is there's a comedy version of Midnight Mass, which is Paul <laughs> communicating with the Beast, which I call it. Um, like to, you're you're absolutely right. Like the the level of mindfulness that thing has when it wants to, uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's like you put you put <laughs> you put clothes on, like. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, it shows up. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's cool as hell. I mean, when that thing shows up and and, and does the old hush hush Mm -hmm. and wanders Mm -hmm. over and kind of hovers over towards the thing and oh man, lets itself uh, into the chalice. That's awesome. But and then when it shows up, like, what is Paul saying? We're going to do a little dress up, bro. Like, we're going (laughs) to here. Just put this on. It's okay. It's okay. Just show up. It's it's all good. I need you to just. Because did Paul know it was going to come? And if he did, did, does that can that thing read a watch? You know, like there's so many questions that that the show isn't interested in, which is totally fine. But how does it know it's Q? Hey, when the Muslim is running away, that's when you try. Like, dang, y'all are just digging deep on this like division. Sure, thing. sure. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm down with you on that. Uh, I will say, I think that to your point about it's. You know, when Aaron's slicing the the wings, it's mm. inability to to note that. Remember a few weeks ago, I said mm. Flanagan is really great at giving you exposition that you don't know is exposition in the moment. 
mm-hmm. until we get to the end of a, th- a story and kind of just need exposition to, to speak a little bit more to happen to me right. to me the only reason lisa and warren wander into the drug den that was that's now the monster's den the uh, only reason that happens narratively is the show is telling you what this thing behaves like when it is supping feeding okay right yeah okay because mm-hmm. remember it. Mm-hmm. it is utterly undistracted it yeah. looks up i think but then goes right back in it I even brushes wrote it down, away yes mm-hmm. i even wrote down the reason we're sh- being shown this right now is so that we understand what it does when it's eating and so yeah, yeah. from that standpoint it it made some sense why you know because if you remove that scene then yes yeah it's a giant it question mark. Sense. Why is this right. thing not even like bothering to respond to her slicing its yeah. friggin means of locomotion? Anyway, yeah, that's absolutely. It's my, my nuance to the quibble. Yeah, and and you know what? I think in there is a version of our show in the future which we could reinstitute our you know somewhat cast aside segment of trivia, and we could call it quibbles and bits. And I. I <laughs> <laughs> man i just love thinking about the fact that you haven't been listening to me at all and you have been just like racking your brain for that one but no that was even I was if you haven't been brain. listening to me it was worth it because that was great that one no quibbles i was bits. listening to you because quibbles and bits just came to, that was that's, that was a gift great that was that was revelation yeah, from the beast uh, yeah exactly like it was just there it just they handed it to me so quibbles and bits it's if there's like a real big problem with the movie that just needs addressing but isn't the main thing quibbles and bits you know <laughs> quibbles and bits and bits and bits and bits <laughs> oh my god i love it somebody get on making that that tune for make us that, make um that speaking oh, of man. tunes let's leave quibbles and bits do you want to do okay. so or ain't first let's i'll do defer ain't. to your preference okay. let's do ain't. do ain't let's do ain't let's do ain't Sure as hell ain't right. <laughs> Quibbles actually- and bits. <laughs> oh my god. Oh man. Um, ain't right. <clears throat> ain't right. There's <sighs> a lot. So, so to be clear, be clear. this is um, covering the run of the show. This this mm-hmm. is the official. That ain't right for Midnight Mass. All seven episodes. Um, and because we're covering the whole season, I think you and I had decided we're going to do two or three each. Which do you want to do? Two? Do you want to do three? What do, what do, what do you think? Um, we got a lot to get to. You want to do two we each? Do. Let's yeah. Let's start with two, and if you just get if the spirit catches you, go for it. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, you go. I'm first. gonna go. I'm gonna go first since you launched into quibbles and bits. <laughs> <laughs> Write that down, Beckley. It is a done deal. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna take next week back just so we can reinstitute it <laughs> or just let the ladies take it <laughs> first oh true gosh, installment of quibbles and bits so funny. so hmm, we can mutually like station 11 acknowledge the chapel together if we want to i do want to highlight 
uh, I, I think as pitch perfect and as masterful as the chapel sequence is, I think one of the most haunting and kind of nightmarish elements of the show to me is that ain't right is, is Joe's fate. Um, it, it really, and, and hear me like even Riley's fate is haunting, but you know, Riley's is haunting because he's our hero and we just don't expect it. Mm-hmm. Joe's is haunting because we love him. <laughs> and yeah. you you quickly, and to be fair, when you first meet him, you're pretty on the outs and aren't sure about this character, but you grow to love him is a better way to put it. And you're just so Absolutely. invested in his redemption because he yeah. is so invested in his own redemption once he finally catches a vision for it. Mm-hmm. Um and I did want to throw out here, I, I, I was reading some stuff today specific to the show, and specifically it was a note Robert Longstreet had about the character. And he said, he made up a backstory uh, for him, and he said, my backstory that I made up for him was that he was a fisherman who had to go on disability. When he fired the gun, he was in an absolute blackout ranting. Uh, he was ac- a- He was absolute blackout drunk ranting uh, which Mm. isn't in the script but never meant to hit anybody so that's his sort of story for what happened with lisa but then he says joe stayed on crockett as penance he could have gotten out and started a new life somewhere because he's a pretty intelligent human being but he's just so wounded being universally hated ground him down to nothing and he has stagnated into utter inertia and i just loved that sort of take because that is where you meet him yeah. And and yeah. so to me, I think what makes his stories so such a high qualifier for that ain't right is this is the sense of aborted redemption. Like that is mm. such a devastating loss when it happens. Yeah. Because it's not just the active and actual loss, it is the heartless and I would say sinister, even posthumous dismissal of him by Bev. You know, like Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. whole thread is just devastating to me. Um, Yeah. So, so I I would, you know, there, there are, there are more glamorous that ain't rights, but to me, that one's just a real contender for a front runner there. It uh, was, I have a couple of runners up in case we, but just for the record, it was my number one as well. Joe Colley's death. Yeah. Was my number one. Any any specifics you want to? No, no, I think you covered it all very effectively. Uh, I just, I just want to reiterate that like, yeah, that, that in terms of how we normally address things, which just ain't right, that, that is absolutely for all of the character based and, and, and also just visually it's, Mm. it's the most uncomfortable visual. I think the show gives us is, is, I mean, for, for those who don't recall, like father Hill drinking from Joe's head and, and it's (sighs) like, it's, it's absolutely horrific. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, that's, that, that's in, absolutely that, in, that image is probably one of the most horrifying, like, no, oh, absolutely different than, but similar to, I think her name was Amanda in St. Maud's transformation. Like the, the, yeah. the visual on screen image is so nightmarish and, and yeah, just absolutely. imprints itself and, and, Oh God, it's, it's no, terrible. Abs- absolutely. Um, what's, um, a, what's another one for you? So I wrestled with this because it's not a traditional that ain't right, but I'm, I'm going to go with it because it, it is the thing that gave me the most sort of like anger. Uh, it, it, 
it evoked the most immediate intense emotion from me. And that's Bev Keen standing outside the rec center, berating, condemning, and judging Howard after everything that he has just gone through, simply because he never came to church anytime. Is that in his the life. Shirt? Yes. Yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah. And so when, you know, Sturge has saved him, you know, like Sturge mm-hmm. saved him. And, and even when Sturge just, he's like, he was always nice to me. Like I saved him. He was always nice to me. And, and then Howard speaks in horror about like, I killed my wife. I killed my two sons. And he doesn't know what's happening to him. Right. Utterly, utterly, steamrolled by all of the atrocities that have been brought to this island and bev in response to that layers on it it, he suffered a wound and she pours salt lemon juice brine every other sort of acidic thing that you can think of and just continues to pour acid into this wound yes everything just pours into this wound she was like xenomorph blood yeah she's like i'm sorry to say you could have saved them and and then and like and you would have known but in the crucial hour because and and man the rage that i feel even now describing that moment the rage that I feel towards that attitude. And as we've said before on the show, because that attitude is not a fiction. I have seen that attitude. I have heard that attitude. People who desperately need an inch of compassion, an inch of understanding, something where you can so clearly see how hurting they are in that moment, and you choose to cast it down as a byproduct of your perception that they have rejected God repeatedly, and that is why they're in that state. It, it elicits such a tremendous uh, negative response from me that I, that right under Joe Colley's death, I again, I debated about it because it's not specifically horror, but that is my, aside from the un- indisputable Joe Colley death, like that ain't. Well, ain't I right. mean, this is a broader way of putting it, but yeah, there's an argument to be made that the character of Bev Keen as she is exists on crockett island is is a that ain't right of the highest order i mean yeah right right and i the the this is the cynic in me speaking i love and appreciate vera's compassion towards hashtag not all christians and and i respect that mm-hmm. at the same time and and sincerely not i'm not making the leap all christians are like this that's not the, mm-hmm. the leap i'm making mm-hmm. here but uh I'll i'll throw it in here uh, because I, it's not a, it's not a theme I'm passionate about, but it is a theme that, that, that screams off of the page here is Bev is illustrative of this notion that I see that I do see in the world moving about that you can proof text, anything, anything you can, hmm. you can find and deploy scripture to back up anything you want, mm-hmm. which yes, invites some very big questions. But the point being Bev's character. And, and once she gets a taste of that power towards the end, at least in a prominent way, once she realizes Paul is not, or once she turns on Paul, yeah, you know, she just becomes, it's like boss levels up. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. just becomes this whole other beast. I mean, really, you know, yeah. the the, yeah. the 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 angel that walks clothed uh, is becomes mm-hmm. secondary to Bev. Yeah. 
Um, so no, no I doubt. think that's, I think that's a reasonable, that ain't right. Um, for me, any other, I mean, of course the chapel, we went on and on about that last week. Uh, if you're confused yeah. about that, join Patreon, listen to last week's episode. Listen to last um, week. Yep. Very small, very small, but very in the spirit of that ain't right is the scene of Paul setting Riley's neck when he comes back. Oh, it's oh, awful. Yeah. That is yeah. terrible. <laughs> Sound awful. design. And I love, God. I love this. This is where, again, we're past quibbles and bits. So now it's praise time. You know, it's, <laughs> oh, um, you know, it is Flanagan knows what he's doing because just in general, as a, as a craftsman and because it's not just, it's not just that scene in the adventure movie where the buddy sets the other buddy's leg that broke and it's one time and bite down on this and this is going to happen. Right. Like, right. No, 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 no. <laughs> he puts you through about three iterations of Paul setting his neck. Remember? Like yeah. it's not just oh, yeah. a single and you're good. No. It's like Mm-mm. a pause. Oh. oh God. It's, it's, it's like one of those little crank, crank wheels. that. Just, <laughs> <laughs> spin it twice this time spin it oh twice this time God. we'll let the blocking do the work for us oh, um, mercy no affirmed affirmed um i have another tiny moment do it that um that will clo- will close me off because yeah there's lots of there's lots of other things but um the dog i mean like the, the dog's death is dreadful like the the dog's death just ain't right it's it's painful and it's terrible and I'll, I'll try to post this right. and I'm, I, I didn't get very far. So I'll lim- I won't have a ton of these like, Hey, I read this thing, this other place. Uh, so no, they they'll come to an end shortly here, but <laughs> there's, there's, I got this book, this midnight mass book, and it's got like photos and behind the scenes stuff. And the version of, I can't remember the dog's name, but so there's a real dog, of course, but then there's mm-hmm. also a puppet version that yes. got like, there's like three, uh, puppeteers working it uh, mm-hmm. which is the close-up one and it's so funny because robert longstreet and several of the other actors talk about how much they loved the dog and this the real you know the real live version and how yeah. like people were actively like robert longstreet talks about like when even the puppet version he's like i'm weeping over this dog but then they would put <laughs> the real one back in the shot and it would just be like licking his face and happy and you know, this, <laughs> this almost schizophrenic shooting moment when they're going <laughs> back and forth between the real dog and the puppet dog oh my god really wow. um yeah. my last that ain't right and it'll it'll be a good pivot into that so right i mean it's freaking riley's fate i mean come on like yeah n- of course. didn't see yeah, it coming yeah, yeah, didn't know it was yeah. gonna happen just shredded my soul when it when it happens and you know you're you are on your heels the rest of the series uh once that takes place yeah you mean the incident foggy nominated for best scare where he walks yeah yeah yeah. his fate yes yes, i'm sorry not the boat fate but the right yes Mm -hmm. the the beast who shushes and wears sunglasses fate yeah the wrong place wrong time i'm totally dead gummit I don't want it to happen, but the beast is losing some sense of menace to me because all I can picture is him just trying on clothes, you know, in Paul's wardrobe. It's just like, now what about this? It's like, I didn't know you could talk. It's like, okay, check, 
check me out. You know, it's like, it, it reminds <laughs> me of Ken in Toy Story 3, you know, and he's just trying on all those clothes. He's just, just, trying, he's just trutting out. Like, what is this? <laughs> he's just strutting. <laughs> he struts out in tie-dye. He's like, what's this? <laughs> oh, man. That's not quite the look that we're going for. Can yeah, you imagine? Yeah, yeah. He shows up and it's, instead of the gold cassock, it's tie-dye shirt. Paul's like, uh, wait, 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 no, wait. No, no, that was the wrong you, closet. You, know? you ruined this moment. <laughs> you ruined this moment. Go back. Try again. <laughs> or when you know oh, it's man. it's it, when he's at uh the sheriff's window he's just like looking for a butt hey <laughs> you want to play <laughs> you got some levi's that has been another installment of that ain't right That sure as hell ain't right. That's what he's doing. That's why he's what? wandering the island. He's shopping. He's shopping for clothes. He's like, he's like, hey, you got some Levi Strauss? <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, these are beautiful boy jeans that I'm wearing. Let's go into that. So right. That's so right. It's just so right. It's just so right. That's just so. All right, Riri, because we wanted to do it. Because here's the thing. We said at the top of this, nothing, very few things, except for the extras, which apparently covers every Venn diagram possibility that exists. But very few yep. things beyond Midnight Mass exist at so great an intersection of holy and horrific for us. And so mm. it felt only appropriate that we could do both a that ain't and a that's so right. This is not a routine thing, only reserved for special occasions. Um, that's right. I've got four here. All of them are high contenders. Um, Dead coming. I know. Well, why don't I we say, do the same thing? Why don't we do the what? same thing we just did? You start, and then we'll go right. through like t- like like okay. two each. I'm gonna do and it. Then, I'm gonna do it. Then, Let's yeah, go. Let's go do it. Yeah, the first one I'm gonna name, and all of them are pretty equal to each other. Sure, understood. For a show that is as thoughtful and contemplative and deliberate as this is i.e. not super prone to traditional kind of action tropes or hero tropes. There is a hero moment that happens in this series. And I bet you about to take my number one again. I I bet you about to do it. No, that's okay. Just do it. So much when Ed Flynn leaves. Yeah. Oh yeah. This is it. Yeah. With the envelope addressed to Monsignor Pruitt, because our boy Riley Flynn knew what he was doing. That's right. And and Paul opens this letter and all it says is you are dust and to dust you shall return, which is a very deliberate callback to mm. of all days. The day we're, we're in the middle of right now, Ash Wednesday, when uh, yeah. Paul yeah. adorns Riley's head with the sign of the cross in ashes and says, my son, you are dust and to dust you shall return. It is a hell Absolutely. of a payoff. One you oh, don't even one hundred percent. Well, I'll speak for myself. Speaking for myself, one <laughs> I had didn't see coming whatsoever. And so when it happens, yeah. you're like, oh, oh my gosh, it's incredible. It is. It redefines a standard for that. So right, it was my it was my number. That's one amazing. I'm with, so proud of us. With, Look yeah. at us, simpatico. Like, it is exactly it. It's incredible. Were it not for and in fact maybe in spite of the collection of emotions I feel about the church scene. If there is any scene that gives a run for its money in, in pure power, 
It is that simple opening of an envelope. Remember, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. It's, I, 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 it's incredible. It's amazing. It's it's absolutely it's stunning. So right. <laughs> so right. So right. Okay. Well, I didn't um, mean to rob you both times. So go go with no, another one. It's all right. No, that's okay. Because um, I got to share in the love. It, it was it was great. Um, I think my second one, and I really debated about it because it could. Uh, okay. Yes, this could classify as both. Um, you referenced Riley's fate walking into the rec center. My number two, that's so right, past remember you are dust and, and to dust you shall return, is I just simply wrote, I did my best. Mm. And after he says I did my best, I want to specify the the that's ain't right is Aaron's perpetual screams with what she sees in, in sure. her perspective. But my that's so right is my dear God, the emotion I feel when for the first time maybe ever since it all happened. He looks and sees the visage of the person that he got drunk one night and got into a car accident and it claimed her life. The accident claimed her life. And for the first time in years, he sees her visage not shattered by the accident and shrouded in blinking police lights, but sees her smiling and whole and she reaches out and lifts him. And and that is Riley's experience of his final moments. I did my best and it is so for a, it, it, you know, I, we unpacked it in detail in our episode four conversation. I love it so much. I, I think about it often. I love it tremendously. And uh, so, yeah, my my number two right behind your dust is I did my best. It's funny what, and I, I will totally echo that, and that will come up again for me at least from a thematic standpoint. But um, I thought you were going to this because what I actually put both in that ain't right and in that so right is is. Riley's fate, i.e. being taken ah. by the beast, not because I like like it whatsoever, but because it's sure. such a ballsy choice, mm. uh, much mm. less to do it at the end of an episode. So from a pure just like production standpoint, that's a, that's so sure. right for me. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it just really knocks you on your heels uh, very deliberately. Um, mm-hmm. I think I'll, I'll I'll throw these last two out and they're, they're, they're pretty point to and move on kind of scenarios. I referenced it when we covered episode three. Holly Holy is just is is mm. one of the just to me one of the most exuberant kind of sequences I've seen in quite some time of a a piece of film or media. Um, so love that, love it, love it, love it. It it definitely ranks up there of these seven episodes. Is it that so right? The other one would just be all of the AA meetings. I just I think oh yeah I think they found a way to organically engage in a philosophical conversation without too much pretension if that makes sense like Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. it makes sense that this pissed off on the outs with the church yeah burdened young man Mm. would think a lot of these things like these I i never in a way that the finale there's moments where i worry i'm hearing the author and not necessarily the character I never feel that way in those AA meetings. I always yeah, feel like yeah. these are two strong, passionate people yeah. really digging in and having conversations that are, yeah, that are really absolutely. powerful to me. No, absolutely. I, I love that so much. Um, I'm going to, because I'm not going to describe or unpack it, I'm going to point to an honorable mention. 
okay. uh, that might come up in theme, maybe it won't, and and therefore it's on record in case it doesn't, um, is the fact that Ed Flynn resists his thirst. I just love that. I love that little touch. The fact that he sees mm-hmm. like, yeah, it doesn't change who you are. Um, like, uh, yes, the hunger is real. The thirst is real, but it doesn't change who you are. And I just, I love that for how much it resonates. So pointing to that, but my final official formal, that's so right. Little complicated, little complicated, my feelings okay. about it. You're a complicated um, fellow, sweetheart. I can be, I can, um, is, and, and, and really the only complication is not rooted in the moment because the moment is not complicated. It is the the echoes and reverberations of what the moment means in the broader narrative. But it is hard to match the power of Father Hill standing at the altar, holding out the wafer, and saying, "Come, come here, Lisa. Come here, Lisa. <sighs> I hate come that here. I forgot that one. Yes, and and and, and then you, you know the 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 tension in the room, and then culminating in Lisa rising and walking, culminating in. As the as the congregation is just in fervor, um, shock and awe of what they're witnessing, Father Hill quietly states the body of Christ, and she goes, "Amen." Holy cow! I holy. I won't. I mean, I, mm. I I I receive and recognize your at least nod to the complicated nature of what that yeah. scene means yeah, yeah, yeah. narratively. But no, from a pure just storytelling, scripting, holy production cow. standpoint, that scene. Yes, I am sad with myself that I forgot it, and it automatically rockets up the list here. Mm. Like, mm. I remember watching that scene and feeling electrified, just like, yeah. "Holy shit! It's incredible! This is yes, yes, this is powerful." It's I don't amazing. even. And and what's so impressive about that is it's not like you haven't seen quote unquote religious sort of iconography in film and media before, but it's like I know right. what Flanagan's heart and spirit is as he as a storyteller, and so when that. Yeah moment happens you're like oh wow we are mm. okay we, we're starting to go up the roller coaster something oh absolutely we're on a whole mm. we're, we're on a different ride than i knew and that's absolutely exciting uh oh, so no absolutely totally with you on that um yeah the show I itself know. just all of it just everything I, 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 I mean except for quibbles and bits but other than that it's, <laughs> it's also ride read that's just so Oh yeah, Reed. Ain't right and so right is Midnight Mass. You know what is so right, Reed? <laughs> well, you know what? You know what else ain't right and so right? What ain't it right? It ain't right that technology just sometimes gets the better <laughs> of us. Scheduling gets the better of us. You know, like oh we're on God. opposite ends of a country, by the way, separated by miles and hours. You know, oh like time zone gosh. related hours. Yeah. So that ain't right. Sometimes it gets the better of us. But you know what's so right is that in this case friendship uh momentum technology permit us to pick up a conversation uh <laughs> begun a week ago and you know people aren't really going to know the difference because it's all happening in one yeah one file that they're listening to at one time so yeah <laughs> it, it, this isn't picking up a week after the last thing we said no 10 seconds ago 
It's not at all. <laughs> and in fact, if we hadn't even said anything, maybe they wouldn't have known. Maybe we just know. I know, but I just think it's fun because it, it gets our brains calibrated. That's true. That's true. And we can we can with incredibly strong confidence tell people they are going to love the bonus episode we got coming um <laughs> that is quite true that is quite true it's funny because at so, the beginning of this we specifically or somewhere in the in the first hour here we specifically cited that conversation hasn't taken place yet now just yeah. a little blip in time that what? conversation has taken place and, and here we are <laughs> oh man but no so um my God, can I say, can I start us off with a question, or do Please. you have a question you want to start us off with? So, so I have something. I don't that, have one I want to start us off with. You go. You're asking. Uh, so, so I have something that that's maybe a little lighter fare. We have there's there's lots of maybe rich and substantive places to go. This is not necessarily humorous. In fact, it is meant in all sincerity. But, um, I was really thinking about this, and one of the things that I thought about in Midnight Mass is what would I do how would I respond to the events I'm seeing on the island? I mean, I think that a lot in horror films and well, in films in general of just like, how would I respond to the inputs that are going in? So my question just in brief, um, and then I'll answer to give you a moment more to think about it is um, who would you be among the, the Crockett Island, you know, uh, and, and, and that's sort of the simplicity of the question is just who would you be if you were a character on this show? What character most resonates with sort of your outlook, responses, approaches? And I'll, again, to give you a moment of time to think about it, I'll answer. The one that resonated the most with me was uh, was actually Annie Flynn. Um, I think I would be some version of that. I would hope I would be some version of that. Somebody who is uh, sincere and devout in their faith, maybe not as mature as they could be or should be, but mature enough, hopefully, to recognize the good and true things of God and, and an ability to express them uh, openly and generously. Uh, I also resonate with her anger when Aaron comes up and says Riley is dead, you know, just sort of the rage and the hurt that that she speaks from. Um, so, as I was pondering, like, okay, who who would I be? If I was a character on this, what what sort of role would I fit? And uh, and it was actually Annie Flynn that sort of most represents how I see myself responding to the events. Hopefully, not drinking the poison, not participating in the in in the rest of it. And again, with a with a sincere, could be more mature uh, kind of faith, uh, but a sincere one. And uh, and that's that's what resonated with me. Who who do you think you would who do you think you would be? Hmm. Interesting question, Lackey. Um. <laughs> Um, Joe's sister who left the island years wow. ago. <laughs> wow. Wow. You're no, dead. No. <laughs> <laughs> sure. You know, um, <laughs> but didn't, didn't have to bear witness to the bedlam. Um, hmm. Well, I think without having had a whole ton of time to think about it and, and craft a, a, a hugely articulate response. I think my impulse might be is now speaking for myself. Speaking for yourself. Uh might be Aaron. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um I could see that. I think oh could you? Um I'm just playing with you. Uh <laughs> you're you know, very she's huh? I'm just kidding. I was gonna make what a joke about I was just gonna make a fact that you're very pretty. <laughs> 
<laughs> Thank you. Um, you know, she she has this skeptic's eye, but kind of wants to be in, you know, kind of yeah. wants. Yeah. It's that person in the world who knows perhaps the um I'll I'll say what I was going to say without prefacing it, but knows they don't quite fit the old wineskin anymore, mm. but mm. still finds some comfort in the F in the presence of it. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Sure. Um, sure. You know, I, I think as much as I love the characters of Riley and Joe, their, their starting points are just too, too distant for me to kind of sure. relate to. Right. Um, right. 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 You know, I'm I'm captivated and and love the charisma of Paul, but you know, I mean, can't can't really in good conscience be like, I think I'd be like Paul. No, of course. Um, So no, I think, and honestly, the only other one that came to mind as a possibility was the sheriff. I think what made me choose Aaron is is as much as I love the sheriff, he can't be in. Right. Mm, Like, mm -hmm. and by, by virtue of the, the boundaries they've drawn for him, I just, is what I mean. Um, and so I, I I felt like Aaron was the most honest answer to that question. Yeah. No, I, I, I received that answer. I received that answer Mm. wholeheartedly. Um, read. It's like, it's like our, our, our scheduling and technology (laughs) mishap was like this manifested way we didn't want to not keep talking about midnight mass it's like no 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 nope. we'll come back we're gonna we'll we're gonna keep to this it. going we're gonna it's put, not the end of the conversation the book, put put the bookmark in we'll come back <laughs> um so i'll kind of pose a question that props up what is because because i've got a, a list of thematic notes a number of them have been nodded to over the course of our discussion of midnight mass but the more I dwelt on attempting to find a summary view, to find a uh, uh, beast's eye view as it <laughs> hovers above or soars above Crockett Island looking down. And, and, you know, I'm left with an articulation of Riley's statement as question. And that's uh, not meant to be rhetorical, but I'll, I'll kind of fill out a little bit of my thoughts after asking it. And that is, that is what if, and, and let this state, let this question be liberating because it feels like it ought to be. What if doing your best is enough doing your best, a, a repurposing of Riley's phrase. I did my best. And I think a lot because it got drilled into me at a certain period in my religious formation of the Isaiah 64 passage of this declaration of our righteousness as filthy rags and and how that gets used to, I will say how it feels like it gets used to weigh the scales against anything we do. Yes. Yeah. And that what if, because in the narrative of the show Riley begins the show in the bottom of a Canyon Mm, and, mm. and I don't even think he's, he's burdened by guilt. He's burdened by shame. I don't even think he totally makes it out of that Canyon in a literal sense. You know, he, he kind of 
he does his best and yeah. damn it in doing so he does find a wholeness mm-hmm. by being welcomed by the girl he killed he does propel Aaron to become this apostle figure and you know those acts don't quote unquote save Crockett Island yeah yeah but but set in motion others ability to rise to a place of wisdom and maturation I don't know so so I, yeah. I can't escape this question that that feels like a through line of the show he resists the hunger pangs Mm-hmm. Ed articulates the hunger pang as something that can be resisted. Meanwhile, all the other citizens are feasting on their neighbor. Right. right. And still he's and 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 but that choice, but that position is still his version of doing his best. And so I guess I am asking as my friend, you know, what what do you think of this idea of of what if your best is enough? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to do this every time, but I seriously had the impulse to just say, speaking for myself, I'm not, I'm not going to do that again. I mean, it works. <laughs> then, yeah. the, then the joke will get old, but, um, it probably already so, is, but <laughs> so the sentiment, I have profound resonance with the sentiment. I'm going to, in a way that resonates more directly with me, I'm going to shift the language a little bit, even though I know there's a direct call out to the language of the show. Um, Riley doing his best and, and that being enough, to, to put a very brief bumper sticker on that, yes, absolutely, I think, I think there's a way in which the idea of success or failure can cause us to create a, a, a kind of a binary metric to say like, well, you know, because the reality is it can sometimes be a piece or a balm, as it were, to know in the truth that even your best could not have accomplished X or could not have accomplished Y, that that simply wasn't within your power to do. And therefore, what you did do as offering up your best was sufficient, was enough. You know, that's that's where I resonate so much with what you're saying is that I think we've expressed some version of this on the show before, but I think the effort to do something good is valuable in its own ends. Hmm. Now that can get confusing because some people might say, you know, well, I was just trying to do something good when sure, if they were sure. really being honest with themselves, no, you were you're kind of trying to control it. You thought that it was going to be a good outcome and you were trying to achieve that outcome. And by doing so, you did a lot of control and manipulation yes. along the way. Yes. Know, that's that, that should be considered. But I think just that real, what resonates with me, even as you're saying it and, and well, he's saying, you know, I did my best and I go to, to Joe Colley, like here's to being different people. Like just, try, mm. I'm just yeah. trying to be different. I'm trying. Wake up tomorrow, and I'm going to try to do good. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wake up tomorrow, and I'm going to try to do good. And maybe the odds against me will be too profound for me to actually cross the finish line. That my best on that. You know, I said this to a friend of mine who was having. He was spiraling a little bit about some bad choices that he had made where he had let his emotions get the best of him and his emotional responses to certain things had caused an argument with somebody that he loved that ended 
they they were ultimately fine. But it ended in that moment with them like storming off for like a day or so. And he was like, I've really screwed up. Like, I'm just, I'm, I'm awful. I've really screwed up. And when I said back to him a version, because we talked for quite some time, but a version of what I said to, is I said, sometimes the day is stronger. Like sometimes the day is stronger than you are. And sometimes a bad day, just one. Like that's that's really all it is. But to cast a verdict on that and to say like, oh, well, I'm a failure or I'm worthless or I'm, you know, it's like, there's a version of me that wants to say that wants to even take it step. <laughs> Please forgive the the potential blasphemy in what I'm about to say. Like I want to kind of be Christ in this moment, and you say, "You have heard your best is enough," and I say to you, even trying to do your best is enough. <laughs> you know, mm, like yeah, you yeah. Know, like there's there there's there's this way in which I say, like, no, just just the awareness that there's something more. That, that could be aimed towards, sought after, pushed towards. Now, to that same end, you know, I'm self-interrogating and saying like, that's, that's not a call to continually strive. It's not a call to say like, oh, always have to be progressing bigger, stronger, faster. It's just simply the awareness of when you get to the end of your day, okay, I did my best today. I really failed here and I really failed here, but I did my best and, and I'm going to try to learn. And then tomorrow I'm going to try again to do my best. And some days you're just not going to be at your best. Some days you're just not, you're just not going to be up for it, up to it. And in that spirit, I would also say like, just, Hey, like even the inclination, even the desire Here's to being different people. Like even that mm. is enough. That inclination, that desire, that say like I I want to I want to change. You know, we t- I know that you asked a question, probably hoping for a succinct answer, but you you asked me, so uh, that's really your fault. No, no, no. Yeah, I was gonna say no, no. no. <laughs> I mean, that hope is is, is, a, is a is a fool's hope, you know, as Gandalf would say. But you know, you you referenced earlier, and I really think about this a lot um the notion of righteousness as filthy rags and the way that that scripture can often be wielded to make people feel their own depravity and make people oh, feel yeah. their mean, own yeah, degradation an entire theological tenet has yes. been built upon it yes, yes. Uh, their own degradation and Part of what resonates with me when I think about a different version of that is uh, what they call the Jesus prayer. Have mercy on me, Jesus, for I'm a sinner. And there's, there's times at which the filthy rags concept can get married up with the verbalization of I am a sinner concept, and they can get married together in a way that I don't really like because I, prof- I find profound hope and, and peace in the have mercy on me for I'm a sinner. When I say that, among many other things that go on in my mind, when I pray, have mercy on me, Jesus, I'm a sinner, there is a version of me which maybe the language could just be different and said, I'm doing my best. Can you please, you know, can you, can you please, you know, the, 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 the father of the man who was possessed, 
you know, says, I believe, but help my unbelief. And it feels like a, a, akin to that. Like, hey, I'm doing my best. Can you help where I'm not my best? Can you come and bridge the gap where I'm not my best? Because I'm, 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 I'm aiming for my best. I'm not at my best. And in that sense, I kind of think to the filthy rags and don't view it, don't absorb it as depraved degradation, but absorb it as like, I'm not up to this. Can't, you know, can't lead my life, can't, can't be who I would love to be, can't achieve that greatness, that whatever. But, you know, in your kingdom, Lord, would you remember me and, 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 and I'm doing my best. Can you bridge where I'm not at my best? And that does bring, you know, to that sense of, yeah, that's, that's enough. That's enough. Like you're here, you're present, you are aiming and, and pointed towards trying to do your best and doing your best. And yes, that's, that's enough. Well, I can't, I can't get away from, and, and this is your fault for steering my brain this way, but <laughs> the more I'm mulling it, the more I can't get away from what I think. There's a lot, there's so much going on in this series and in, in, in pretty amazing ways, thematically and narratively, but yeah, maybe one of the strongest illustrations of what this show is after is is those two dudes under a streetlight on a graveled road parting ways in the night they aren't the, i mean riley is young and so quote unquote has his life ahead of him still in a certain level but but they are the bottom of the barrel like right in this filthy rags sort of paradigm i mean bev literally treats joe's body like such yes yes and there's the 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 high church participants. There's the world of folks just going about their day, exercising their vocation, and stuck in the middle are the Joe Collies and the Riley Flynns, yeah, who find themselves at a literal crossroads. And man, I I get so moved by um Robert Longstreet, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. by his delivery of that line. And he says, being with you and Paul, talking like that, like maybe my life might be worth something. Mm. And it's like, and 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 the evolution of that conversation is effectively, because he says, does it ever get better? And, and it feels like Riley saying, if we do our best, it might. And, and, and Joe saying, well, here's to doing our best. You know, like that, that's yeah. Yeah. where they leave each other is <laughs> work exists and we can do it yeah. and i don't know i don't know i'm just so struck by the this idea of the communion of those two saints mm-hmm. <laughs> their mm-hmm. their their intersection with each other at an intersection discovering they have value and worth and yeah yeah and that you know doing their best gets them both killed you know yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't have a place to land that. No, se. I mean, uh, I mean, I think that consideration is, and I mean, I don't have a, mm, I'm going to call upon my favorite band, Clunky Segway, um, <laughs> because I, um, you know, I, I do think there is, there's a lot of richness to this show. And now this is just going to be me taking that and sort of using it to step to the next place. Uh, if you'll, if you'll permit me. Um, and one of the things I think about is just the whole doing your best means that 
you have to, to a degree, be open and willing to let certain things change and let certain things sort of evolve, which leads me to kind of a different, a different question. I was pondering this notion of like, you know, when the people at Crockett Island are all sitting there, they see Lee's has been healed and all the miracles and everything. And there's a few people in that congregation who showed up at midnight mass and they are devout and they are, uh, to a degree they're, 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 in it faith-wise. But when the, when the poison starts being passed out, when the, when the Kool-Aid poison starts being passed out, they um, see it for what it is, and they, and they don't partake of it. They don't drink of it. There are people in that room who don't do so, and that we never hear from them again because they, you know, they just they died. Um, and so it, it's something that made me sort of ponder for myself this way in which have you ever had have you ever had this experience? I don't know if any of this will resonate with you, but have you ever had one of those experiences where you like spent time, spent time served thinking that a certain thing was one thing, only to realize further down the line, oh, this was that all along. And I'll cite an example. It's something that I've referenced on the show before in different contexts, but the way in which uh, complementarianism for me, and I'm about to introduce like a really big thing. Don't feel like if you respond in kind that it has to be this big, but the way in which complementarianism to me, how so much of what, uh, you know, 10 years ago or so, I would have cited as, yeah, that's, that's natural and that's, and that's good and whatever. And then when I learn more and hear more about the ways in which that has, you know, created a path for profound abuse and, and how that really isn't reflective of what I see in the scriptures. And there's always been some version of me that's never really jived with that. And then realizing like, oh, this was all just about <laughs> subjugation and oppression, you know, really all along. So the question I'm asking is, have you ever had a paradigm shift like that where you're just like, oh, man. Hashtag not all complementarians. I'm kidding. <laughs> all complementarians. <laughs> oh, oh! <laughs> <laughs> not a compliment. So, um, Kidding, sort of, huh? What? But like, I feel like that sense that you get where suddenly, oh man, I really sat in that for a very long period of time. And now realizing like, oh yeah, that was, that, that was not what I thought it was. I thought A and B and C were happening when really G and H and I were happening all along. And um, I don't know if any of that resonates with you, if you've had paradigm shifts like that or not. Will you rearticulate the question a little bit so I can? Yeah, just uh, I guess I'm just asking, you know, have you had one of those paradigm shifts like uh, that the people at the Easter Midnight Mass have where it's just like, oh, what we thought were miracles are really, you know, devastating uh, atrocities. And, and for some, it happens before they even drink the poison. For others, it happens like after they see the bloodbath and after, you know, sort of everything has been wrought. Um, but I guess I'm just kind of scratching at paradigm shifts like that where it's like, oh man, I was viewing, I was viewing this one way for so long. And then now, yeah. you know, and you don't have to cite an example if one doesn't presently come to mind, but I'm really just sort of aiming at the experience, that experience of just like, and, and I'll say this as a final button. Because I'm talking about paradigm shifts and I'm talking about the way you feel. Like the way in which it felt so refreshing 
to abandon my need to constantly justify that I thought something that I thought was scriptural and 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 something that I thought was supported by theo- by theology to now realize like oh yeah you know I always found that suspicious and now uh, I I realize what a what a shell game that was um, and and how liberating that was for that paradigm shift to happen and I guess I'm just talking about the experience yeah right? yeah yeah that about poison the poison for Cusco Cusco's poison <laughs> that poison. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> look what i can do um yeah i think that if i'm comprehending your question correctly uh in terms of what you what you thought you understood that suddenly dramatically changed kind of before your eyes um Uh, there, there have been slightly more gradual versions of that, um, you know, recognizing intertwining of white supremacy, white supremacy and racial terror in the history of the evangelical church for one, you know, mm. that, that aren't mm. as immediate and emotional. If I'm going to be honest, speaking for myself, not being jokey there, uh, listener forgive what you'll initially roll your eyes at and let me explain. But if I'm going to be honest, the one that comes to mind, uh, that caused the most emotional response of a paradigm shift was honestly the election of Donald Trump as president. Okay. Um, and, and again, you know, hold some grace for me. If you roll your eyes there to are tempted to, it was because, what felt so clearly like watching others drink poison, what felt right. Mm-hmm. I became aware of how much I misunderstood a, a will to the common good. Mm, okay. If yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. yeah and and that was, and a previously unknown stupor, towards societal institutions right sure sure so i'm not I actually i'm not trying to get political i'm not i'm trying to answer your question but that was a major emotional paradigm shift you know the the the, the history of my adulthood and observing politics was pretty non-existent and casual i'm a fan of Obama, I'm glad we elected him twice. I voted for him twice. And that's not the point other than to say, oh, well, you know, oh, cool. Ah, here we yeah. go. Right, and yeah. then watching what felt so clearly like, okay, um, Bev's passing out the poison, but nobody's really going to drink this, right? <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, nobody's really going to drink. And then everybody starts drink drinking. That. You're like, WTF. Uh, <laughs> whoa, whoa. We got five minutes, <laughs> you know? And, yeah, and yeah. so, so no, that, <laughs> that one, that one felt like a very emotional paradigm shift. Um, yeah. That, 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 you know, kind of the, this, this dawning horror that sort of collectively uh, we had been all kind of duped by father Paul in that scenario uh, to. Can I piggyback off that a little bit? There. Sure. Yeah. You know, to, to resonate, like, you know, you very succinctly put it. Yeah. The, the election of Donald Trump. And I will, I, 
I will say not only echoing a comparable emotional response to it, but just the way in which it has become crystallized in the last four to six years, how much theology is informed by politics as opposed to politics being informed by theology, and how much of, oh, well, this is the stance of this side, therefore, here's what it feels like to me. Regardless of which side of the aisle does it, what it feels like to me is, oh, well, this is the thing we need to prop up, so here are the proof texts that we're going to now oh, lay yes. out for you, and and these are the ways in which I can feel very comfortable. Uh, like, and and, and mm, I feel my blood rising. Um, like, it's it's one of those things where it's like, okay, yeah, uh, we need to be okay with this, and we need to be okay with these atrocities, and because we need to be okay with the atrocities, we're going to do a little Google search or we're going to do a little Bible way, you know, search uh, so that we can find the verses that will prop up how we really want to feel about this. Um, yes, here lies Joe Colley in a, a saturated pool of his own blood, but we are going to now lay out Put all there of the... By, vi- yes. Oh, yeah, this guy, the priest. Exactly. Uh, but now we're going to lay out why that's all justified. Oh, yeah, there is a literal uh, monster standing in front of us with, with wings, and we are going to call it an angel, and we are going to drink poison and call it communion, and all of those different things that, uh, that, that can sometimes rise up, and that became very crystallized for me um, in the way in which we the people were no longer willing to allow themselves to be challenged on that because of all of these layers well, and layers of... Well, let me throw in there, too, yeah. you know, if, if, if Bev Keen teaches us anything, and I do think there are things she can teach us, um, it's, and I don't say this glibly, but it's that you can proof text literally anything, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I think it's a reason... Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm actually not super interested in going, uh, into, into the political realm too much other than just that, you know, how we think about people is a version of politics. And so there we are, but it's why I really bristle, uh, at most uses of the word biblical, just because I think, Mm. uh, for me, there's a pretty clear difference between biblical and Christ-like. And I, I've, I've seen enough of what is, has been called biblical, uh, harm, uh, mm-hmm. many, many, many people and enough to know that this is not necessarily the path to pursue, uh, the virtue to pursue. And, and it's funny, we've got, um, an adult in our orbit, uh, who, attends a, a, a traditional Southern Baptist evangelical church. And, and every now and then it's not my place though, because of who this person is every no now boy. and then they'll say a thing. They'll say a thing like, you know, I just really appreciate that that pastor, you know, preached the Bible, you know, just, just <laughs> was a biblical preacher. And, and what I want in those moments to do is be like, you, you don't know what you're saying. <laughs> I, I know. I mean, yeah. that's not me being glib or even condescend or um, disrespectful. It's, yeah. it's me legitimately saying, no, 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 no. They aren't. They're they're being they're being true to their tradition, and and if that's yes. a value yeah. to you, then then okay, let's name it and call it and go for it. Uh, that's right. I mean, I'd say let's temper it, but nonetheless, let's mm-hmm. call it that because mm-hmm. that's what it is. Yes, um, you know, biblical is as much Joe Colley as it is Bev Keen. Like mm-hmm. you you can't mm-hmm. 
you can't use that word and expect people to hear the same thing you're saying. Right. And yeah, you know, when, when someone says, Oh, you know, well that pastor just preaches the Bible. It's good to just hear the Bible preach. Like, well, <laughs> again, I think, I think what you're responding to is it's just kind of what you've understood again. Right. An right. Okay. Thing, but let's not, you know, christen that and, and call it, call it sacrosanct. Um, mm-hmm. and so I think what Bev is really interest, why Bev is really interesting to me and, and, you know, we go some places in our upcoming clergy conversation about the possibility of even of grace, even for Bev or, or what the show has to tell us about her, but in her common comings and goings on the Island, she is incredibly biblical, but <laughs> she is not an inch Christ-like. And, right. and so if biblical is your measure, I would say you have the wrong tool. Mm. Mm-hmm. No, I, I totally resonate with that. And I feel, um, feel a bit dumb in this moment because I had, I had something kind of pithy to say and then it just, it vanished as soon as it was there. But I think this notion of, I really resonate a lot with what you say about, well, no, that this is the tradition. And sure, there, there can be a recency bias to say like, Hey, well, you know, I just believe the Bible. Well, when you really do the history, you are believing a literal 90 year old interpretation of something from the scriptures, um, that prior to that, there might not be, you know, much evidence that, that that was an orthodox belief. There's a, there's a complexity to all of it. Oh, this is what I was going to say. It wasn't terribly pithy, but look at the way in which the term word of God has come to be more synonymous with referring to the Bible than it has with oh, Christ. Sure. Yeah. And the way in which, and I mean, I know that's obvious to you and I, but like, I think about that from time to time. Like when the scripture refers to the word of God, the way in which people have deployed that as specifically referencing biblical scripture and therefore providing the written word. Yep. They're providing the same authority that the word of God as that same scripture identifies to be Christ and says, this is Christ. And then giving that the same weight of authority. And to that degree, it's like when that happens, you suddenly have a homogenization of Christ and the scriptures, and it's really only a small leap to go from that to say, okay, scripture, and then my interpretation of scripture, my understanding of scripture, my right. my comprehension of the application of scripture, and then taking from there, now suddenly you are the one in authority. One of my biggest frustrations is the way in which people will speak with authority and point to the Bible, or they'll point and say like, oh, well... This is just what the Bible says. Like this is this is just God's truth and 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 they'll say God's word and they'll speak with that authority without any humility, without any recognition of like, hey, you just wield you just held in your hand something really profound. The 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 power of life and death is in your tongue and you brandish it around just as if you're playing with a nerf toy, a nerf sword or something. And I think that's something that I've become cognizant of is just in recognizing the way our own language can change, but we aren't willing really to change with it. We want to sit in the place to where we feel like we have the weight of tremendous authority instead of sitting in a much more humble space. Um, And I don't know, it, it, it challenges me a lot in thinking of, uh, you know, m- maybe my own paradigm has shifted in just 
I think I have actually become significantly more open to allow myself to be challenged by experience, to be challenged by the scriptures themselves. I'll, I'll say it that way. I think I've allowed myself to be more challenged by the scripture the less I believed I understood them. And I feel like a lot of times when people will say, oh, well, the scriptures, there's always something new. There's always something fresh. Yeah, but man, do you, <laughs> you aren't really letting yourself be molded and shaped by it and formed by it. You aren't in a relationship with it. You're simply you know, using it. You're simply de- deploying what you know when you know it to apply to the situations you want instead of actually engaging it, wrestling with it, and letting it change and affect you. Um, which is significantly can I, less helpful. Can I throw a thing to maybe tie that off and pivot us into something yeah, we haven't all. actually really talked about? Yeah, by all means. Um, uh, as my maybe last note on biblical versus Christ-like, um, I think uh, the clergy at work on Crockett Island exercise a high level of being quote-unquote biblical, mm-hmm. and it results in their parishioners eating their neighbors. So I'll let that metaphor do its own work there Um, Mm -hmm. and pivot us into what might be depending on what we discover here, Christ-like and maybe as a final sort of word on the fogs, midnight mass treatment is, is Aaron's monologue. I feel compelled to, yeah, yeah to lean in on that and because I do know, and I want to exercise some grace towards even, you know, listeners who may have struggled with that the first time around. And, and, you know, I, I really tried to pay attention to it this time and, and watched it a couple of times, watched slash list slash listened, listened to it a couple of times. And, you know, just want to open up dialogue about it. And if I have any critique, it's simply that, it's it's a hefty monologue in sure, your final sure. episode um, that isn't just hefty. It's just it it goes big. <laughs> <laughs> it does, you know. Yeah, and it does. and and you know, I, I could I would get behind a criticism of it that says it kind of took me out because it goes so big, right? Um, right. You know, so so I, I won't I won't say I won't disagree necessarily with that notion, but I did want to spend some time just taking it on its face and, and mm-hmm. kind of examining that, um, you know, I, I want to, cause I'll, uh, speaking for myself, <laughs> cause, cause we're not coming back to midnight mass except for this Friday. Um, yeah, that's right. While I think it lacks some of the familiar warmth of what we appreciate about Aaron's little foot monologue, mm. you know, which, which, utilizes a lot of language and verbiage and ideas and concepts that we're pretty familiar with. Yeah. While I do think on a certain level, it lacks that poetry. I can't deny finding it very lovely. Yeah. And, and, you know, I've read enough Richard Rohr at this point to it's, I feel like Leo and Hollywood pointing at the screen when I see it used, I'm like, (laughs) Oh my God, they're using that. I mean, this is straight up Richard Warspeak right here, which, yeah. you know, <laughs> maybe why some people don't like him or it. <laughs> um, but I went to, this isn't, this isn't the best quote, but I went to universal Christ, um, the, the Richard Rohr book, um, the subtitle of which 
speaks a little bit. It says how a forgotten reality can change everything we see, hope for, and believe. But this little quote that just kind of helps me process some of what Aaron says here. It says, God did not just start talking to us with the Bible or the church or the prophets. Do we really think that God had nothing at all to say for 13 billion years and started speaking only in the latest nanosecond of geological time? Hmm. Did all history prior to our sacred texts provide no basis for truth or authority? Of course not. The radiance of the divine presence has been glowing and expanding since the beginning of time before there were any human eyes to see or know about it. And I Mm. just share that as sort of a feeder, a gateway into engaging some of her speech. And what I love about this show, and as I've read more, even post watching it, Flanagan's whole guiding principles for this particular show, which he would identify as his most personal and even most rewarding production experience were attacking the questions, how should we live and what happens when we die? Mm -hmm. And he says, this is me paraphrasing, but he says, I don't know the answer to the second question. And I mistrust a lot of people who think they do, but I know the answer to the first one has a lot to do with the answer to the second one. Wow, that's Which really, I just good. Find really really powerful. Um, yeah, and so good. what I love about Aaron's speech, and so in the same way that I love the earlier speeches, is even it, even it, it, it itself is just a speaking for myself. It is a let's at least ponder this together, you know, and 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 maybe you might disagree with me as it being a definitive statement, but I find really powerful even uh, so, so that's a long winded preamble. Um, I don't want to get to the end of her speech yet, but I am just curious as you've sort of sat with and mulled more, uh, having now seen it more than once, you know, any new sort of thoughts, insights, takeaways, you know, uh, yeah. What are, what are your, what are your feelings or thoughts? Well, um, you said you didn't, well, I, uh, I, I'm asking sensitively, like, my impulse is to respond to the final spoken sure, right. segment on that. Like, cause that, cause that's where most of my thoughts sit. I did land on something, uh, recently that even if for no other reason than helping me to feel this thing and, and believe this thing and know this thing, I'm very grateful for that monologue. Like your answer to the, um, my answer to the question of like, how do you feel about that? I do still, th- I mean, the, the, aspiring writer and writer in me still thinks it's 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 not the the most accessible <laughs> speech yeah, yeah, you know yeah. but but casting that aside the 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 ideas with which it's dancing and specifically something that i gleaned from the from the final statement and 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 something that has stayed with me is something that uh resonates a lot so i i guess i'm i guess i would say like i'd like to go there but i don't want to like if you're holding back well let me at least frame it because i sort of introduced the frame and then forgot i'd introduce the frame but to your point from the writer standpoint it's like i almost wish now i think riley's and her monologue are appropriately in conversation with each other literally in the same scene however i almost wish the show had had one to front end as well to like yeah because because it's so big and 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 aims real high to your point about accessibility i can totally jive with so you know uh, a few just sort of 
glimpses of the speech itself. I'm returning just by remembering I'm returning home, all things apart, all of us apart, all of it. God, the one, the cosmos in its infinite dream. We are the cosmos dreaming of itself. Life is a dream. It's a wish made again and again into eternity. Finally, I am that I am. And so we can bring that up. But what I said earlier about, you know, the Bevs and the Pauls of Crockett are are showing us what it means to be quote unquote biblical. What does this show to be quote unquote Christ-like? And I think there's, this is, I'll, I'll tie this off for my, for me, and then you run with it. I think there's a world where someone would hear the end of her speech and, and find offense there. For me personally, I find it quite beautiful. I find that, uh, as, as I, as my faith has evolved in the last, you know, six, eight years, the notion of Christ likeness being a pursuit, um, being a thing to work towards to do our best in that effort is what faithfulness is and means. Mm. And so, mm. you know, when a human character who is, who is confronting the death and the God who formed it all to suddenly get enmeshed with that, to use the phrase, I am that I am is a literal it's to to me. It's not a, I'm God too. It's a, (laughs) I am now in and with and a part of all that ever is and has been because that's what we've been designed to be. Thus, I am that I am. I am now in this and with this. And that's, that's really beautiful and lovely to me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wouldn't disagree at all. I've come, I've come around to that. Um, I, must confess I was never really offended by the speech. Sure. sure. It, it was, um, it was more a sense of like trying to grasp what it was after and trying to grasp its clarity, trying to say like, okay, well, you know, what is it really trying to say? And I think I've landed. It's almost like, I'm sorry, forgive the metaphor, but it's almost like you're the hero running into the horde of zombies, but you stepped on a thing that like a rocket shot you into space. You're like, what? Where, How did we get where, here? <laughs> where am I? I thought I was doing one thing and now we're doing this other thing and I don't even know where to go. Yes. Um, but what, I mean, the other thing that it invokes, I think anybody with even a, a, a tertiary understanding of scripture or, or, or acclamation to scripture will hear I am that I am and go, wait, that's what God said, wasn't it? Yeah, that's, right. that's, that's what God said. But um, a little bit more context to it um, is that's the, that's the time at which God was speaking with Moses and he was talking about when Moses had to go to set the people free. And, and he said, you know, who, who do I say has sent me? And, and he said, I tell them I am has sent you, you know, I am that I am. Mm-hmm. There's this other place, and these dots connected for me with something I read a while ago. I cannot remember where I read it, and I feel bad. I tried to, I tried to look for it. I couldn't, I couldn't succinctly find it, so I don't know where I encountered this. But somewhere in the recesses of my brain, I can remember reading an observation by, um, I want to say it was like a book written by a rabbi. Um, and and I want to say it was like you know a rabbinical look at at certain scriptural interpretations or whatever. But um, and here's why is because they were really acquainted with the the original Hebrew and mm. this observation that I had read. They were saying that that the point of time 
at which Moses asked God's name. Moses had the audacity to ask his name. And then the name God gives him, we tend to say it as Yahweh. That's That tends to be how we say it. But that's not what God said back to Moses. In the Hebrew, as it's written down, when Moses asks God's name, it is a capital Y, capital H, a capital W, and a capital H. There's no consonants in there. There's not an A. There's not an E. No and, vowels, right? Or sorry, yeah. There's no vowels. Uh, it's it's only consonants. And this observation that was made that again, I, re- I really, if if some listener knows, oh, so and so observed this, that would really help me because I did some digging and couldn't find it, and I would love to to credit them for this because I was grateful for it. Um, that it was observed by some scholarship that that uh, specifically sounds like breath. Mm. Y-H and W-H. Y-H being kind of, if you say it without the insertion right, right. of the vowels, it's, it. it's like, well, sure. I mean, it's, it's, it's clunky to try to, it's <laughs> clunky okay, to try, okay. but it's like, you know, but yeah, there is a little bit of like a, you know, the Y-H is like a, and then the W-H is like a, you know, there's a there's an inhale and an exhale to it. And then and I in thinking about that and in thinking about, you know, just trying to wrangle down like what does Aaron's monologue make me think, make me feel? And I, th- I recalled that and and recalled to this notion of like, man, the I find that profoundly beautiful to think that when God was asked his name, it was essentially like you say the name of God, like to breathe is to speak the mm. name of God mm-hmm. and to have the name of God close to you. And the way that, you know, you talk about the connectedness of things, the way in which we all breathe in and breathe out and we share the air and, and, and that sense of things that, you know, <laughs> a baby cries and the, you know, cries out the name of God. And, uh, mm. you know, like, I think there's even an old Rich Mullins song, Talk, that says cry the name and 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 oh yes that's it no not cry the name uh calling out your name there's an old oh, rich mullen uh, you know that's a great song yeah uh, yeah i see the thunder uh, i hear the thunder in the sky i see the sky about to rain and with the prairies i am calling out your name this wind this breath you know this this notion of in and out and and to that end that that connectedness of it and and the closeness of the name of God being so so present with us um that's that's one of the things that Aaron's monologue had connected a couple of dots for me or at least pointed some arrows towards something else that I found really profound and really lovely so makes me think of Popeye is it Popeye what I am what I am <laughs> that's all I am. no it's I am what I am. <laughs> But um, it also, in the spirit of Midnight Mass, makes me think of Neil Diamond's song "I Am." I am. I said. I am. Oh, that's right. I am. I said. Mm -hmm. It's great. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I think too, like, yeah. There's. I mean, there's a tapestry of things that you know could be unpacked about this show. I'm something that you and I had texted. This will probably be my final sort of assertion of Midnight Mass, and then maybe this, at least for my end, we'll we'll close it all down. You, it's funny. You texted me something, and then I don't think it has ever come up in any of the conversations. I can't remember when you texted it, but as maybe as a potential question of like, where do you see God in Midnight Mass? 
was the mm. question that you would pose, like, where do you see God in Midnight Mass? And I'm just like, man, yeah, as I look back on this show, it's like, yeah, I I see God in Joe Colley shaking Riley Flynn's hand and simply saying, here's to being different people. Like, I see God there. I see God in Riley Flynn writing a note uh, reminding evil and wickedness that it is to remember it is dust and to dust it it will return i see god also in you know as referenced earlier i see god also in lisa having the courage and the freedom feeling you know strength back in her legs standing up again but also uh something we get into in a little bit more depth uh on our on our roundtable discussion coming friday but uh but also in the hope that she feels when she can't feel her legs anymore. You know, I see God there. Um, and, and, and I think that's something that is, that is truly profound about this show is the ways in which depending on how you view it and de- depending on your perspective, it's like, you can see God everywhere in it. Um, I see and- God in Annie telling to Bev, all are loved. Mm-hmm, absolutely. I see God in Ed saying to Annie, you can resist this thing. Mm. We don't mm-hmm. have to be like the others. Yeah. I yeah. see I see God in uh Sheriff Hassan mm-hmm. uh praying with his son uh at yeah. the end on the beach. Like I abs- I absolutely see see God there. And uh and in the <laughs> in the simple twisted as it is, in the simple, you know, Sturge choosing to to bring back uh Howard because he was always nice to me. He's always nice to me, and and Father Paul, blind as he is, and 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 misguided as he is, marching into the church boldly and say, "All are welcome, or else it's not the house of God." You know, like yeah. I know there's a lot of mayhem, and I know there's a lot of chaos here, but I find it really, really profound that there are places. Have I ever told you? Okay, this is not about midnight mass, but have I ever told you about that? There's that moment. Um, I'm going to reference an entirely different thing and then I'm going to bring it back to Midnight Mass and then I'm going to shut up. There's that. There's a moment in the film Jesus of Nazareth, the big six and a half hour thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a moment in that and it's it's shortly after Jesus has his bar mitzvah, which I know is, I think, a bit anachronistic to the culture of the time. But Jesus, it may not be. I'm, I'm not certain uh, 100%. But um, Jesus has his bar mitzvah and then in the movie, in the film, what happens next is the Roman soldiers uh, sort of are marching through, and they invade, and they steal some food, and they rough around a few citizens, and they they do some, uh, some some kind of oppressive sort of bullying of the people there. And then when they leave, there are a group of zealots in the crowd who begin to just yell and scream at the heavens, and they say, you know, how long, Lord, do we have to wait for you to help us? How long do we have to wait? And, and, and they're begging for help and, and they're crying and they're screaming. And then one person in the crowd even says, God has abandoned us. And then when he says that, and yes, it's a very dramatic moment. And yes, Jesus has piercing blue eyes. I'm not even trying to address that right now. But, <laughs> um, but in that moment, while they're crying out, you've abandoned us. Like, how long are we going to have to wait for you to help us? Jesus steps forward from the crowd and, and sees and watching it. And to bring it back into midnight mass, I think we would do ourselves a disservice to look at anything, any of the atrocities all around us, any of the the good all around us, anything anywhere, and and not be 
at least to a degree conscious of like, hey, you know, God is not far. And again, this gets back to what I was saying about the breath thing. Like, as long as there is breath, God is near. And it may not be in a sense of, you know, the, the, the ways we would define it, the way Bev would define it, the way Father Paul would define it, the way Annie Flynn would define it, the way any of your modern church leaders or your modern thinkers, the way Richard Rohr would define it. It may not look like any of that, um, but, but he is present and he is near and, um, and we should take some degree of, of just awareness of that. I'm not even say hope in that, just awareness that, um, that it's, that we're not alone. We are not forgotten. We're not abandoned. That was a big mm. statement. That was my version of, that was my attempt at matching Aaron's monologue. That was what it was. It was in real time. Though. I didn't have a, yeah, I'm like, was, I thought we the first were draft. just talking about men and heading for the end. And you're like, <laughs> like a rocket ship. Like, Whoa. Yeah. Hop on my back, Nate dog. <laughs> uh, what a yeah. great show. This is a wonderful show. Um, we're about to go to the fog meter, but listeners really hope that you've had fun on this journey with us and, 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 uh, you know, feels like there's been some really emotional things. I'm, I'm just grateful if for you it. didn't and don't get mad at us because we did our best. Okay. So you know, it's just, <laughs> <laughs> we did our best. We did our best. We tried up in here. Yeah, we tried. Um, so I try. Um, but, uh, <laughs> the fog meter is our very specific. Me- uh, actually, I was about to rudely just go there. Are we, are you good? Anything else I'm, you want to say? I'm good. Let's do it. All right. The fog meter is the, um, very specific metric, uh, of fear and God, the way we measure these shows by their scares and by their substance. Um, and so midnight mass, uh, view- viewing all seven episodes, considering all seven episodes as a whole midnight mass on the fear measurement, man, oh man, that church scene alone for me earns this an unqualified 10. Then there's all the rest of the stuff the show delivers as well. So uh, yeah, I would I would say Joe's death alone gets me to nine, or and and the mm. chapel scene mm. finishes seals the deal. So heck yeah, ten, no question. That's right. What about God meter? Ten, no question. Yeah, I mean, no question. Is there any doubt that I'm going to give this a ten? <laughs> I would hope not. I mean, like. I mean, that's the thing. I, I, however, is, I don't recommend it. So let's be clear. Well, wow. <laughs> <laughs> this is, well, you just, you just like Father Paul, you just cracked my neck like I'm Riley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just, you just and then do my it again. Back into place. You did it again. Um, no. So, I mean, listen, listeners, we're not going to belabor this. It's a 10 on the fog meter, straight up. Uh, you asked me, and yes, I give some love to my film, The Exorcist, but there may not be another show that so directly dances in the intersection that we dance with week over week, uh, then midnight mass. I mean, uh, it is, it is so this subject, it is so this conversation. Uh, and of course, Nathan, I mean, do you recommend people check Wait. out midnight mass? Come on. Re- do you, Hell yeah. I recommend it. I've, I mean, since our, our snafu hiccup here, I've, I'm like, can I watch it again? Yeah. <laughs> but Give me an excuse. Give me an excuse to watch it again. It's uh, yeah. I mean, it's really, it's really very affecting. Like I've I've urged people to please watch the show. I think it's it's powerful. It's 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 very 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 affecting, and uh, I love it so so much. And I've been privileged to be able to talk about it with you, my friend. Um, this has been these have been some of my favorite conversations that we've ever had on the show. Honestly, wow. Um, it's it's really been it's really been fun. It's really been great. 
Um, and unfortunately, all good things must come to an end. And uh, not only does Midnight Mass. However, we're going to oh, keep talking about Midnight Mass this week. That's right. So um, Midnight Mass is going to uh, have a, a coda, an epilogue, if you will. Uh, and so will 2021 more time. So the coda, an epilogue to Midnight Mass is coming on Friday. As you're listening to this, um, it's coming on Friday with a roundtable discussion uh, with three wonderful, lovely individuals who will be making their debut on The Fog. Um, and uh, they have a variety of different backgrounds. They have uh, a variety of different perspectives. We've now recorded the conversation, and I think you are really going to find it enjoyable and find it enriching. Uh, and we strongly encourage you to check that out. That will not be that will not be a patron segment because it is the Coda to Midnight Mass. It will be available to all, um, and it'll come down on Friday. Um, and then after that, next week, we'll have the epilogue we to need 20... break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to have the epilogue to 2021 more time. We're going to turn it over to people who are smarter and, and, and brighter and more insightful and just lovelier people than we are. We are going to turn it over to Ladies' Night. Um, so uh, it was so much fun when we got to do this with uh, Life is Beautiful. So uh, n- stay tuned on Friday. And then on Tuesday, uh, we will have the one and only Vera Gowdy, the one and only Asia Swartzentruber, the one and only Jess Fishley will be joining Teaming Forces, their powers combined, to tackle A Quiet Place Part 2 as uh, the final and ultimate conclusion of 2020 one more time. This is exciting. And then, can I share one more bit of fun news? <laughs> Go for it. You're just rolling it all I'm just rolling. Nathan just keeps looking at me like, when are you going to let me talk? I'm like, what's what I'm next? <laughs> so then, after that, listen, Coded to Midnight Mass. Coded to 2020 one more time. And then, things are getting cagey up in here. After that, <laughs> things are going to get real cagey in the fear of God. Because, listen... My man, Nicolas Cage, has made like 20 plus movies that are horror or thriller adjacent, and uh, our patrons have selected some of them, and we are going to be starting a series after Ladies Night. We are going to be starting a brand new series of films starring the one, the only, the outrageous, no other filmography and film history like it, Nicolas Cage. So we're going to be having... Oh, go ahead. And in case yeah. you heard that and you're like, oh man, I wanted to vote, go join Patreon. Yeah. Five you bucks. Can do, yeah. You, you, can, can, you can vote in future series. That's the whole thing. That's what that's we exactly, told you. And we're doing ex- it. It's exactly right. So, yes, we are going to be launching after uh, uh, the Coda this Friday. And after Ladies' Night, we will be launching into a Nicolas Cage series. Stay tuned to hear exactly what films we are going to be covering. But yes, Nick Cage is going to be making his debut to the fog uh, very, very soon here. And I'm. I'm really excited for it. It's going to be great. Um, So, Nathan, thank you so much again. Listeners, thank you so much for sticking with us. And as we say on every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And in that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. We'll see you Friday, and then we'll see you next week. Go in peace. But go. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. Start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for links to our social media, essays, and episode archive merchandise and more. If you love what we do, please consider becoming a patron by visiting patreon.com slash thefearofgodpodcast. 
there you'll unlock exclusive bonus episodes, extended standard episodes, online event access, and so much more. We want to issue a special thanks to Jacob Hunt of TracerMatula.com for our artwork, also to our assortment of talented musicians, including Andrew Nelson, The Island Family, and Jackson Harper for our varied show tunes, and also to Lee Wright, who helped me, Reed Lackey, write our theme music. Special thanks also to Tyler Smith at MoreThanOneLesson.com. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice, and if you listen to us through Apple Podcasts, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Hi, everybody.